Welcome to Amato's fifth quarter podcast. Listen to incredible conversations with former high-profile AFL, A-League and NBL players who discuss their lives and respective professional sporting careers. Previous guests welcomed on the podcast include... Dustin Fletcher, Al Gordon, Travis Stork, Craig Body, Tyson Edwards, Brett Maher, Dale Pickett, Eugene Brickens, Kevin Brooks, Jack Fitzpatrick, Bill McDonald, Sam Jacobs, Calvert, Marcus Ferguson, Sean Hedges, Tony McIntyre, Andrew Vlahov, Graham Corn, Brian Curl, Jason Ekamanis, Chris McDermott, Mike Ellis, Kevin Lich, Matt Smith, Michael Wilson, Brendan T, Jordan McMahon, Brett Burt, Matt Shanahan, Rupert Stapwell, Dusty Lockhart, Sam Gibson, Ricky O'Loughlin, Dylan Addison, Daniel Georgetsky, Dom Tyson, Sergio Fandai. Links to all previous episodes are down below for your listening pleasure. But without further ado, let's get into this next episode of Amato's Fifth Quarter. They've got a brand new stadium, a big one, and they're going to put a big flag up there in a moment because the Eagle has landed. They're the premiers in 2018. everyone welcome to episode number 37 of amato's fifth quarter podcast i'm your host dan and for today's episode we're going to be joined by favorite son of the a-league an absolute fan favorite former brisbane raw and adelaide united striker and indonesian international sergio van dyke is the special guest for today's episode courtesy of whatsapp he joins us all the way from the netherlands we discuss his life and professional career Growing up in the Netherlands with a strong love of football from a very young age, playing in the Eredivisie and the clear pathway for aspiring footballers in the Netherlands as opposed to here in Australia, coming to the A-League and joining Brisbane Raw in 2008 where he would immediately become one of the league's best strikers. His time at Brisbane when they were building towards their dynasty, winning three championships in 2011, 12 and 14, he unfortunately wasn't there for that time, but he talks about the couple of years before and the sacking of Frank Farina and the effect that had on the club. His career best golden boot season with Adelaide United, scoring 16 goals in the 2010-11 season, which was clearly his best season in the A-League and what he is most remembered for, particularly here in South Australia. The standard and culture of football in Indonesia, as well as representing the Indonesian national team, his Indonesian roots coming from his mother's side of the family and his brief return to Adelaide United in 2016, where he actually wasn't allowed to play in the A-League. He was there purely for the Champions League campaign for the Reds. From 2008 to 2012 here in the A-League, Sergio van Dijk played 105 games. He scored 50 goals. He played in five finals. He was the A-League Golden Boot winner in 2010-11, and he also made six senior appearances for the Indonesian national team. 
All right, so these intros are getting shorter and shorter, and I know I've said it before, you don't want to hear from me, you want to hear from the guests, that's why you listen to this podcast. So from the Brisbane Raw, Adelaide United, and the Indonesian national team, Sergio Van Dyke. Today is gonna be the day that they're gonna throw it back to you. By now you should have somehow realized what you gotta do. I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you now. They're all in on the paper. And Sergio Van Dyke makes it 1-1 after it came back off the bar initially. First, and now there's space for Mullen. Van Dyke in the middle. Oh, beautiful goal from Adelaide United. Sergio Van Dyke. Great chance here for the Reds. And Sergio Van Dyke buries it. The goal simply raining. Welcome back to Amato's fifth quarter, and today we've got fan favourite of the A-League from the Brisbane Raw, Adelaide United, and the Indonesian national team, Sergio Van Dyke. It's a pleasure to be joined with you today. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Hey, Dan, likewise. I'm very happy to be on your show. So, Sergio, you're joining us from the Netherlands. You're the first person I've had overseas. It's been about three years now since your last professional game. You're currently residing over there in the Netherlands, and I understand you're a player agent now. Can you give the listeners a bit of an update on what you're up to these days? Uh, yeah, as a player agent, I, I'm working to bring players from one club to another, and nationally, so in the Netherlands, but also international, from the Netherlands to other countries, from any country, uh, actually. I always have a. I'm always on the lookout for interesting Australian players. So um, yeah, it's a very dynamic job. So you were born in Assen in the Netherlands, and you have Indonesian heritage. What are your memories of growing up there in the Netherlands, and and what's the football like back then and and now? I think you know when I grew up over here it was a very good environment. I live in the. I, I was born in the north part of the Netherlands. I still live there. And yeah, it's more what they say, the farmer's area. So it's a bit more quiet, but it's good for children and, and young families to grow up. Football over here in the Netherlands is sport number one. So when you turn six, you first go to uh, have a swimming lesson uh, because this country is lower than the sea level. So if there might be an opportunity that it's getting flooded here. So everyone needs to know how to swim. And after uh, swimming uh, lessons, you go to a football club. Almost every kid goes to a football club and uh, you start playing football. And yeah, for me, that was also the same path that I took. Also because my father was a pretty decent footballer, football player in the top amateur league. So football was from day one the biggest thing in my life. And yeah, if you compare it to nowadays, back then we were playing outside every day. Every time that we had spare to do something for ourselves and not doing homework, we were outside playing football. And nowadays it's playing PlayStation. So, you know, there's a, there's a big difference. And I think also a big difference in development of talents in, in football. Yeah, that's very true. So were you always a striker? Was scoring goals always something you were particularly good at? <laughs> 
No, no, not really. I started as a as a midfielder, left midfielder. I was I'm a, a left footed player, so normally I used to play on the left flank. I used to play also as a central defender for a short while. And actually, when I started to play at FC Groningen, my first professional club in the academy, I uh, started to uh, play as a striker. And you know, in the preseason, I played as a striker as a, as a test. I scored a couple of goals, and ever since I've been been a striker. So it's a funny way of starting my uh, striker's career. And just before we get into your professional career and your youth academy there at Groningen, is it true you were named yes. after Serginho Shulapa? <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. I was born in the, in, the, in the year 18, 1982 in August, so just after the World Cup finished. So my mother named me after the striker of uh, Brazil. Yeah. Wow, that's unbelievable. So your mum was obviously a big yeah, fan. Funny. Parents yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. The Netherlands, yeah, the Netherlands weren't in, in, in the World Cup, so I think Brazil was the next best thing. <laughs> so you started playing for LTC and then you were given an opportunity at Groningen's FC Youth Academy. Yeah. Now, one thing I'd love mm-hmm. to talk to you about is the pathway for aspiring footballers in the Netherlands. It's been spoken about for a long time that the pathway to the professional level here in Australia is not 100% clear. What's the pathway like mm-hmm. in the Netherlands? Yeah, even nowadays you, you're getting, there are scouts that scout you already on an earlier age, a younger age. So look, for example, my son got scouted for a professional club when he was 11 years old. Back then I was, I think, 14. That was the youngest age, age group at the academy. So nowadays it's even earlier, meaning that you are training with, with a professional academy club, maybe maybe four times a week, plus a game in the weekend. Yeah, that, that obviously that's, that's a great way to develop your skills if you're doing so much training sessions a year. If you compare that to Australia, where maybe they even, they, where not all professional football clubs have their own academy and you start to first go through the AIS. Yeah, that's a totally different system. And in a way, I think it also, it also depends on, you know, the Netherlands is a small country, so players can come from their home. There's always one professional club within an hour's drive. So it's much easier than if you compare that to the Australian setup where there's only one professional club in the city, or maybe uh, Sydney or Melbourne, two or three. But you don't have that many chances to, to play for a professional club in, in Australia and, and also in, in an academy. So do you still watch the A-League or keep an eye on it at all? Yeah, yeah, I still watch the A-League. Adelaide United still is close to my heart. So I uh, I am an Adelaide United fan at this moment, and uh, I try to watch as many games as I can and uh, you know Australia has been very good for me Australia just how you say it, has sparked my career uh, I had a great time over there my son was born in Australia so I, I look back at my period in Australia as a really nice one and hopefully one day I like to go back there and, and live over there or maybe have a holiday ho- house over there that's that's awesome. There's a lot of people here in Australia that would love to hear you say that. Really appreciate that. Yeah. You had three years at Hellman Sport and then, is it pronounced 
Eredivisie? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, there we yes, go. Sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. So you played over 100 games and scored 40 goals, and you played with your brother Danny. Do you think this is when mm-hmm. is the time when you were at your best? I don't think so. I think at that stage I was still learning, developing, getting used to you know the adult football world, and also to getting more into your normal life. You know, you have to get more experience in how things go on the pitch, but also off the pitch. And it's a journey. At FC Groningen, I was at a dead end. There was a new coach coming in who didn't really gave me opportunities, so I had to move. I moved to um, Helmond Sport. Over there, I had a coach who gave me an opportunity to develop, gave me time, was very, very involved in my uh, development. So uh, over there, I grew as a, as, a, as a player. And then, as you may might know, uh, you know, a different coach came in. And different coaches have different preferences and different preference for players. So I was on a dead end again. And then I moved to FCM and uh, played there also three years. Also in that period, the last season, my, my brother joined the team as well. He was also in the youth academy of FC Groningen, but at the end, he was more like the 12th player, you know, always on the bench, coming in on the bench. And uh, after a while, he wasn't satisfied with that anymore. But in the end, he made it to professional football, even though it was one season. But at SDM, and, uh, yeah, I was already in my fifth and sixth year in the Eerste Divisie, so the second highest league. And after that, I wanted to have an adventure. And in, in my first thought was, okay, let's have a look at the UK, what maybe suit my style, the country suits my style, the style of play, and maybe Germany or, or Belgium. And then suddenly, my agent back then came with this option to to even go on trial to Australia. <laughs> and I, I thought like, oh yeah, but that's a gamble because you know I have to prove myself and there are opportunities here as well where I can sign directly uh, in, in Europe. But then I thought, let's explore, uh, let's, let's have a look in, uh, at what Australia is, how was the football over there? Because I never heard about playing uh, football in Australia. So I, I, I went on YouTube and the first thing that I saw was, I think, the maybe semi-finals or maybe even the grand final. It was Central Coast against, I think, Newcastle or maybe a, a game even earlier, a semi-final, Brisbane against Central Coast. Yeah, and that was obviously, if you when, when I saw that, like, you know, the pitch, the stadium, and then the palm trees at one end, with all these nice boats and the water at the back, I thought, yeah, this is it, man. I have to go. I have to go to this place. This is what I always wanted. Yeah, that made me decide to go to Australia to take it as a serious option. That's an awesome insight. So, before you came to Australia, mm-hmm. did you know? I mean, you, you just explained that you watched a clip on YouTube, but did you know anything at all about the A League? No, not not about the league. Obviously, I knew about some players because we had some Australian players playing here in the Eredivisie as well before. Like the national team coach Graham Arnold was at Nat Breda, Tony Vidmar, Aurelio Vidmar obviously as well. I, I knew about Frank Farina, Mark Viduka obviously he was doing well at the time, Harry Q also. You know, I knew a little bit about Australian football but not about the league in Australia. And 
yeah, that really got me convinced to go there. And even the night before I had to decide that I, if I was going to Australia or not on, on a trial, I couldn't sleep. So I woke up and I turned on the TV and the first thing that came up was a documentary about Sydney or whatever. So I saw that as a sign and I, the next day I called my agent and I said, okay, let's do this. Let's go to Australia. And yeah, from there on the rest of the history. Did you expect when you came to Australia that there'd be kangaroos jumping around? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we are pretty well developed over here. We know what's going on in the rest of the world and <laughs> what Australia is about. But no, man, it's from, from a country where we don't have any dangerous animals. I went to a country where you have all the dangerous animals that you can imagine, yeah, like crocodiles, sharks, spiders, snakes. So, uh, yeah, no, it, it was great experience and uh, I'm so happy, you know, really, uh, Australia has been an important, still is an important part of, uh, of my life. Very, very lucky to, to have you say that. When you first come to Australia, obviously you played for the Queensland Raw, who are now Brisbane Raw. At the time, yeah. Frank Farina was the coach. You knew yeah. of him before coming here. What was your relationship like mm-hmm. with, with Frank Farina at your time at the Queensland Raw? Oh, I had a great relationship with him. First of all, I impressed him in the, in the preseason because I was on trial and they had a Brazilian player also on trial. And if I remember correctly, they were almost verbally verbal agreement of keeping him. So my situation was pretty difficult, to be honest, if, if, if I look at it now. But I still impressed him and they uh, let the Brazilian go. So in a way, Frank Farina was had confidence in me, uh, confidence in me. So, and even at the start, I had a, a difficult patch where I wasn't scoring for nine or ten games, uh, and he still put me on every game to let me find my confidence. And after my first goal, uh, the floodgates <laughs> went open, I guess. And uh, after that, it was scoring uh, a lot of goals for my team. Yeah, because at that time, you were the best striker in the competition. I think there were other ones as well. Joel Griffith, Shane Smelt, uh, Robbie Fowler was there. Well, I had some decent uh, competitors, but I was lucky to always be uh, around the top three of the top scorer uh, score of the season. So, yeah, I'm proud of that. So, did you notice the standard of football in Australia? How was it different to the standard in the Netherlands? Yeah, you know, in the Netherlands, as I said, you know, we learned to play football from a young age. And also, if you join a professional club in their academy, you learn football at a high level already at a young age. So your basic skills are more developed. Your tactical insight is more developed. But that doesn't mean that you are straight away a good football player. You know, in in Australia, uh, you have... The mentality is much better. If I compare it to players over here, over here they complain too much. So in Australia, they, they work their socks off and uh, they like, go 90 minutes and maybe even more. It's that fighting spirit. Yeah. Australia's known yeah, for as that. You, yeah, as you could see also the previous World Cup, you know, this in Qatar, uh, Australia fought themselves through to, to the next round against, uh, yeah, unfortunately they, they lost against Argentina, yeah. I mean, great uh, performance from them. And uh, so, so the difference I think is in here in Europe, you have more time playing at a higher level when you are young. 
But I think at, at this moment, uh, you know, Australia has caught up since the start of the A-League and, and, and is uh, developing. But you know, unfortunately, I have seen, you know, uh, that at this moment or the last five years, the, the football has been uh, in a slower phase of development, I believe. You mean in Australia or just in general? No, no, in, in, in Australia. You know, there was a time where it went very quick and now, you know, there has has been some discussion obviously like okay which way where is Australian football headed how do do they develop their talent uh, better uh, the, the golden era with uh, Harry Kewell the Cahill Piduka uh, and hopefully they can I, I think the, the the basis is there you know to at least uh, the, the working mentality and hopefully they can improve with Coaches that develop also with their experience in, in Europe now nowadays or in Asia, you can see Kevin Muscat and Spostakoglu, and hopefully they can bring their their experiences back to Australia to develop football in their own country as well. But yeah, it takes time. But I think Australia one day will 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 get there. So and hopefully my son will be eligible to play for the soccer roof as well. Then. <laughs> yeah, that'll be amazing. And it was. This World Cup was, well, the last World Cup was a massive step in the right direction because I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone expected Australia to do that well. And another thing that was good was in previous World Cups, you might see one, two, three players from the A-League. Well, the 2022 World Cup had eight yeah. like playing yeah. in the A-League yeah, mm-hmm. and they all played well. Yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, Australia has put themselves on the map again and uh, the focus is now on Australia. So hopefully uh, football as a whole can develop even more in, in Australia so uh, so the sport can be uh, become even bigger. All right, everyone, it's time for a quick break on A5Q. I want to talk about Cappuccino's, the perfect mobile cafe for your event catering needs. Established in 2019 in Adelaide, South Australia, Cappuccino's is our family business, here to provide you with freshly brewed, hot barista-made beverages on wheels, using locally roasted La Crema coffee beans with our preferred blend included for any event needs. Cappuccino's caters for weddings and engagements, sporting events, school, university and work functions, and birthday parties, just to name a few. We pride ourselves not only on delivering warm, smooth and delicious coffee at a great price, but also fantastic professional customer service with a smile. If our customers walk away satisfied, it means our job has been done correctly. We also cater for meal deals including bacon and egg rolls, hamburgers and hot dogs upon request. If you're based in Adelaide and need catering for your next social event, Book with Cappuccinos by visiting our website at www.cappuccinos.com, spelled C-U-P-P-A-G-I-N-O-S, link in the description below, or contact us directly via phone at 0418-894-570 or email at cappuccinos at hotmail.com. And don't forget to like us on Facebook and help spread the word. Now that we have that out the way, let's get back to the show. Going back to your Queensland Raw days, so the 2008 9 mm-hmm. team under Frank Freena, you had a very, very yeah. good squad. Yeah, it was yourself, Craig Moore, Robbie Cruz, young Michael Zullo, Matt McKay, Liam Reddy. You finished third and you made yeah. the preliminary final. 
What are your memories of yeah. your first season in the A League and, and playing with this team in Australia? Yeah, it was it was great. As I said, the start was difficult for me. Or at least the start in the official matches was difficult because I had a great preseason. Everything was I was flying. Then I had a difficult patch, and after that uh, we were again back playing very well. We had a good team, and yeah, for me it was the best thing that happened to, to me. I think I believe I had offers from the MLS as well after my first season. And no, I, I was so happy with where I was that I said, like, no, man, I just, I'm, I'm going to stay here in, uh, here in Australia. So, yeah, it was all positive, to be honest. Did you struggle at all with the heat in Australia? Because obviously, well, because we play our football seasons in the summer. Did you struggle with, yeah. with the heat? A, l- a little bit, but they helped me a lot at the club, the medical staff. To, with their advice on what to do, drink a lot, drink four drinks, and you have to push yourself through the heat. At the start of the at the warm up, you think, oh, this is the worst thing ever to play in this heat, and then you get used to it. And then, yeah, if you want to do what you love, that's the situation. Yeah, you have to handle it and take care of it because all the other 21 players on the pitch have the same situation. And so, no, at the end, uh, I was. Uh, I got used to it, and even though uh, when I was in the Netherlands before in the preseason, it was always summer, and then we had to play games in 27 degrees, 28. I was already like, "Oh, this is so terrible, too hot." And uh, yeah, Australia really got me used to playing in even other conditions. What about the 2009 preliminary final against Adelaide United? That mm-hmm. was in your A League career. That was the closest you ever got to playing in a grand final. Why do you think Brisbane couldn't quite get into a grand final? And Adelaide, with everything that's gone on this week, perhaps a little bit cautious, but would love to change the ledger. Barbiero! What a screamer! Fabian Barbiero, one out of the box! I don't know about you, but I can't think of a better way to change that ledger. They've edged, they've propped, they've been nervous... But all of a sudden, a weight has been lifted off the red shoulders, care of an absolute stick of dynamite from Fabian Barbiero. What about this for a way to strike a football? They deserved a goal too. He is a fabulous player, Charlie Miller. He's picked up a yellow card for his demonstration. Well, he's saying that both of his last attempts on goal took a deflection. It should have been corners. Well, there is the final whistle. The black cloud has produced a silver lining. Adelaide United are back from the brink after a week of torment and into their second Hyundai A-League grand final. They can go back to the Telstra Dome next weekend and give themselves a chance of redemption. What a difference a week makes. Yeah, I think uh, Adelaide back then was also pretty tough. You know, they had a good, strong defense with Ognanovsky. I think Barbiero scored a screamer. The match was close. If we would win, I think a draw was maybe fair. But yeah, they in the end, uh, it was just the luck of Adelaide United that got them to the final. And uh, yeah, uh, unfortunately for us, we, we didn't make it. But it was a tough game, to be honest, I remember. Did it make it a little bit easier when Adelaide United lost the grand final the next week? 
<laughs> yeah, the, what I thought was uh, if we were there, maybe we could have won. But what if doesn't don't count in life. Very true. The next season, 2009-10 season, mm-hmm. I think it was a little bit through the year, Frank Farina was suspended due to a drink driving incident and then he was sacked a few days yeah. later. This mm-hmm. this situation, how did this impact the club at that time? It's two strikes and you're out for Frank Farina. The Raw coach was caught drink driving on the weekend for the second time in as many years. My duty to inform you of the board's decision that Frank Farina will no longer be the coach of the Brisbane Raw Football Club. On Monday, the coach threw himself at the mercy of his board, pleading forgiveness. You know, whatever action he's taken, um, I have to cop it. Apparently not. The Raw board's now preparing to meet Farina inside court as he seeks a payout on his $250,000 a year contract. They were his words, that he would abide by whatever decision the board came up with. We made this decision, now it's a matter of how do we exit. Farina has been with the club for nearly three years and was expected to coach until at least 2011. Yeah, it makes it hard because I think Frank was really good with all the members in the team. We all had big respect for him. He also knew how to manage players like Greg Craigmore. We had back then Charlie Miller, boys that played at a high level, Danny Tiado. So when that happened, they were also like disappointed that we had to we have a, had a change of coach. Uh, I think it made it more difficult. Those kind of things make an impact on a squad and on the team. I think it didn't work out for the best for us. It seemed like Frank Farina had the respect of all the players. And when he was taken away yeah. from that position, it seems like Brisbane didn't really recover from that. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. If you say it like that. Yeah, I think these, the, those, the players that came to, especially the more experienced ones like Craig Moore and then Thiago, they, they came also to Brisbane because of Frank Farina, because they worked with him before. They know what to expect from him. And if you change it over in the middle of the season, yeah, that may be a bit tough. Did that have anything to do with you leaving Brisbane Raw? No, we can talk about that now. I think back then they were just too slow with offering me an extension and what the plans were. I think the club wasn't really in a good place back then as well, in the organization or financially. And then I really wanted to stay in Brisbane because I really had an enjoyable time over there. I, my son was born over there. It's a great city to live. It's beautiful. The team was good. You play in a nice stadium. The training facilities were up to standard. So I didn't have any any reason to leave directly or at that moment. But even though I had offers from almost all other clubs in the A League as well, but oh, they didn't really? suit me. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, then, then Adelaide United came, and back then you still had this, this option to sign for short term, for only for Champions League. And yeah, I thought like, why not? You know, in the in the meantime, I can play Champions League. So I had I could tick off something on my bucket list, playing Asian Champions League, and I still had time, and Brisbane still had time to give me a, a decent offer. And I, I still remember this as well. And Postecoglou was the coach. Was also TV host, or how you say, TV on TV as well at Fox Sports. And he, he said like, yeah, you uh, Brisbane Ross should break the bank for Sergio van Dijk. <laughs> so I was waiting, but maybe there was no bank available in, uh, <laughs> in Brisbane. I, I, went, I went to Adelaide first, just for, for the Champions League, and I was still waiting on, on Brisbane for uh, 
know a new concept also, but my time at Adelaide was far better than I expected. So originally you didn't yeah. really want to go to Adelaide? Back then, Adelaide United was having the bad season. I think they were somewhere at the bottom or something. So it wasn't really my first opinion that I, my first thought to join them because if they perform like that in that season, yeah, you're already thinking like, okay, so what would, the, would that mean for next season? The only thing that really attracted me is that back then, Michael Petrillo, the technical director or sporting the, uh, director of football, really came to me in, in Brisbane to talk to me and say like, please, would you like to come, Sergio, would you like to come to play for us in the championship? Short-term contract. And I thought, oh, yeah, why not? I mean, at least I can play Champions League in, in a long off-season. I would be another experience. And then, as I said before, we could see what Brisbane comes up with. But I had such a great time. And my connection with Marcos Flores while playing was excellent. And for me, as a, as a number nine, such a good number 10 that understands you is, is crucial. And uh, also the likes of Travis Dodd, Matthew Leckie, Adam Hughes on midfield, Paul Reed, I think the Castillo, the balance in that team just made me think like, okay, maybe I should consider staying here, even though the last season wasn't that good. So I decided to stay in, uh, in Adelaide. When, when you joined Adelaide United, the next season, mm-hmm. Brisbane Raw is when they start their dynasty. So, <laughs> they, you know, yeah. they, they're in three they're in three grand finals for three championships in yeah. four seasons. After this time, did you ever think, what if I had a stayed? One kick separating Brisbane Raw from their second trophy of the season. Enrique against Ryan. It's all on this. Enrique scores! Brisbane are the champions! And who'd have thought we'd have been saying that some 10 minutes ago? What an incredible comeback! What an incredible team this Brisbane Raw side is! It's Brisbane's day! It's Brisbane's season! It's Brisbane's time! Desperate stuff from Perth. Forward it goes. The whistle blows. It is Brisbane again! with a double the second from the penalty spot hugely controversial a massive talking point but the grand final goes according to form Ange Postacoglu becomes the most successful domestic coach of all time Perth denied in the cruelest of circumstances the full time scoreline Brisbane Raw 2 Perth Glory 1 Brisbane Raw Champions of Australia. There it is. Brisbane have won it. It's cool on the Wanderers. They're beaten for the second year in a row in the grand final. But Brisbane Raw, Premiers, now title winners, Champions of Australia for a record third time. Oh, obviously, that went through my mind, but I'm not a real believer and I, I don't really often think about what if because I make decisions on the knowledge that I have at that moment. And at that moment, Britain was indecisive, so they didn't decide. I had a good offer from Adelaide United. I had experience Adelaide United in, in those couple of weeks, of months in the Champions League. I made that decision with the knowledge I had back then and obviously yeah it would be great if I had 
if I won the league with Brisbane, but I wouldn't change anything because I met a lot of great people and, and the experience in Adelaide was also very good, special place for me. So, yeah. It's not like Brisbane were really building. I mean, it just sort of came out of nowhere. No one ever saw it coming. Yeah, no, I, I saw that, uh, you know, uh, Ernst Postecoglou was already my coach at, the, at the, a couple of months at Brisbane Roar. Could you know that there is, if, if he could implement his style and his way of working with the team, uh, with the players that he wanted, then there could, something could happen. And it did. But yeah, I chose a different path. Halftime break here on Amato's fifth quarter podcast. And I'd just like to take a moment to thank everyone who has tuned into the show. The support is very much appreciated and I hope this episode is finding you well. If you're enjoying the show, it would be a massive help if you could consider subscribing and leaving a rating and a review. Gaining as much positive feedback as possible helps feed the podcast algorithm and boost the show's visibility, which will therefore allow for other Australian sports tragics to see and listen to the show. Five stars, of course, would be fantastic, but I'll leave that up to you. Now, enough of that. Let's get back into it because the second half of A5Q is about to get underway. You joined Adelaide United for the 2010-11 season and this is when you had your best season in the league. Golden boot winner, 16 goals. You're playing in that great team with Flores and Galekovic, Cassio, Dodd, Barbiero, Cornthwaite, a young Matthew Leckie who just had a great World Cup. What are your memories from that year? Because that's something I've been really excited to ask you about. First of all, you know, before I joined Adelaide, we were talking about Matthew Leckie and his performance at the last World Cup. I saw him, he, I think he made his debut in, in, the, in that terrible season when I was still at Brisbane Roar and before I moved to Adelaide. I already saw him, you know, scoring some goals and I really thought already at that time, like, hey, this guy has something special. You know, you could see he's eager, he has, he's fast, he's not scared to do things, shoots with left, with right. And this guy has something special. And then the next season when I came at Adelaide United, you could see it from up close, you know, that he, this guy has some talent. So I'm not surprised that he went where he went to Germany in the late Bundesliga and now has his experience in, in World Cups as well. So, uh, yeah, that's funny to see that, that he was your teammate, a young Matthew Lecky. But, yeah, that season was uh, was incredible. I think if you look, as what I said, like it started already in this Champions League campaign where we made it to quarterfinal and got knocked out by John Book Hyundai. As I said, I had such a good connection with Marcos Flores that it's such so great to play with a number 10 like him. That we had such a good connection on the pitch, off the pitch. Together as a team, we were very close uh, and we enjoyed playing football. Yeah, and that year we also got a new coach, uh, Rini Koolen, a Dutch coach. So that also brought more trust and also a good connection with, with the coaching staff. For, for myself uh, as, a, as a Dutch Dutch player and he as he a Dutch coach. So all the things fell in place that we had a, such a good time uh, together. I really enjoyed, that's one of my, that's my best season, I think, the, the one that I enjoyed the most uh, personally. Uh, and even though we didn't win the league or we didn't win the Champions League or something, but still I, I have such good memories about that season. And I obviously 
I won the Golden Boot for being top scorer of the league. And that's, uh, I think, one of the highlights of my career. So, you know, all these things, all these moments, all these experiences together make, make it why I still have warm thoughts or memories about Australia and especially Adelaide. That's another thing is you are still an absolute fan favorite here at Adelaide United. I'll put you in the same mm-hmm. category as Marcos Flores and Isaias. You know, you are mm-hmm. just all the fan. You're very endearing and everyone just loves you here at the club still to this day. What does that mean to you to be loved so much by the fans here in Adelaide? Yeah, that's a, no, that, that's an indescribable feeling. You know, it's something special and, and the feeling is mutual. It's not only about my football performance. It's about the whole experience that I had over there. Football was great. I met so many great people. I, uh, Marcos Flores is still one of my close friends. Even though we live that far away from each other, we have contact weekly. We speak to each other. We have a really special relationship. I speak to Casio. I speak to people in Adelaide. I, I met some friends over there that are still that we are still in touch with. That's also one reason that I came back to Adelaide again for a short-term contract in 2016. Because yeah, just the place that I love. I still uh, every now and then I'm I'm still looking at still looking to see maybe in the future there is an opportunity to go back to Australia and then Adelaide. You know, I've met so many people over there that. Adelaide is also like my second home. Yeah, it, it sounds corny, if, maybe if I say it like this, but it's really something special for me. So it's, the feeling is mutual. Well, we definitely love to have you back someday because you're an absolute legend of the Adelaide United mm-hmm. Football Club. So the year after your Golden Boot, there was a bit of an issue with Rini Coolen. I believe he sacked seven players, and it seemed like things weren't the same as they were the, the previous year. So. Coolen got sacked. John Cosmina returned to the club as coach. Mm-hmm. And in general, yeah. the club wasn't the same as it was the year before. So they finished second last that year. What happened? Dumped Adelaide United coach Rinnie Coolen has launched his court battle against the Reds by revealing he has no income and fears being deported. The Dutchman has accused the A-League club of misleading him with an assurance his job would be safe. Five months after Rinnie Cullen's sudden sacking as Adelaide United senior coach, the Dutchman's lawyer has taken to the field to launch his breach of contract claim. Axed partway into a $370,000 a year deal, Cullen claims he's owed almost a million dollars. But United's lawyer told the district court the coach walked out after the club offered him a new position as head of youth development. The Reds today reiterating that point outside court. He still could be a, a full-time employee on the same same money and package and uh, and everything that he had. But Cullen says a junior role would have been untenable. He's also accusing the club of going back on its promise that it doesn't execute coaches. At the time of his departure, Cullen's season record was two wins, four draws and five losses. I think this whole situation made an impact on the whole club, you know, on, on the squad, on, on everything. In hindsight, when things aren't really going the way you thought it would go, because I still think we had the potential to end up again somewhere in the top of the ladder, but things don't go as 
you know, we change things, different coach, different style, different playing style, maybe things that I didn't agree with John Cosmina and, you know, I don't blame him for anything, you know, at that moment. In the end, everyone in, in, in the football business is, is there for themselves. You need each other, but in the end, you want to do what you want to do with, and then make steps and everyone wants to do that. So when things weren't really going and I fell out of favor, uh, yeah, I also thought like, hey, you know, this is not what I want. Then maybe I should go and look to go abroad or somewhere else. And uh, yeah, when that started, to when I started to playing left, what I thought was not, I was not doing playing bad, but I still played left and left, even uh, ended up in the stand. Yeah, I thought like, okay, yeah, this is enough. This is not what I want. So yeah, I looked to um, get to an agreement with Adelaide to pursue my career somewhere else. Was that disappointing how your time at Adelaide United ended? I mean, I know you, you came back a few years later, but yeah. was that disappointing considering considering how successful your time had been there prior? Yeah, maybe if I look back at it now. I think so. For me, it went all that quick because there was already interest from other clubs. And, you know, when, when we mutually agreed to separate or to finish my contract, you know, I was already in... in in motion to go to somewhere else so but sometimes yeah th- these things happen and uh, you make a decision for yourself and i don't blame anyone else so you could say yeah I, it was disappointing but i was already into the next project not not time to regret because after this you went to indonesia didn't you yeah so what's the standard of football like in indonesia it's lower it, it is uh, lo- it's lower than australia yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you, you have to look at in Indonesia, also from a young age, you are still at your amateur club. There's no system, no organization. There's nothing, you know, no quality coaches. So that meaning the players who have talent, they develop on a late, in a later stage, actually too late. So yeah, the level is, is lower, even though they have the talent. It's like they are all diamonds in the rough, but never polished. Never, uh, not at the right time at least. They have, the passion is there. Football is sports number one. They are so fanatic that you cannot imagine. Like it's, it's almost like you feel like you're playing in, in the Premier League, you know, like sorry, you're a star in Indonesia. Everyone knows about football. 270 million people, 75% is football fans. So yeah, you're talking about 200 million who are following football and who know who you are and yeah but that doesn't mean this the standard of the game is, is good but yeah you know with my route in indonesia uh, i thought that was would be a good next step for football but also uh, outside of football in 2013 you got called up to play for the yeah. indonesian national team so yeah. what what is your indonesian roots my mother is indonesian my father is dutch and that's because Indonesia was the colony of the Netherlands, 50, 60, 70, and nowadays it's already 80 years ago, before the World War, Second World War. And my grandfather fought for the Dutch Indonesian army. And when Indonesia took over again, they went, went back with the, the Dutch people. So they ended up in the Netherlands. So that's my connection to... Uh, the, so there are many Indonesian 
people here in the Netherlands, living in the Netherlands. Yeah, interesting. Okay, and what did it mean to you to play for the Indonesian national team? It was my dream to always achieve the highest thing possible. Obviously, when I was younger, think about the Dutch national team. Uh, okay, after a while, you you know, okay, that's not going to be it. And then this opportunity came along, and yeah, I took it. And yeah, uh, it was a special feeling because in, in a country that big as Indonesia, where my grandparents had lived more than 50 years ago, but at a total totally different. They were poor, didn't have anything. And then you are able to play for the national team that everyone adores, admires, and everyone is focusing on. Yeah, I was proud that I could do something also for the pride of my family and my, for my grandparents in particular. So um, yeah, it was a special thing because my first game was again, if I'm correct, against Saudi Arabia for World Cup qualification in a stadium with full of supporters, 90,000, I think. So, uh, yeah, that was a uh, pretty special experience. Before we get into the final stretch of this episode, we need to take one more break here for three-quarter time on A5Q. Now, this podcast is partnered with Pete and Pedro, the kings of men's hair and beard grooming. The days of the caveman are now over, gentlemen. We all need to keep on top of our hygiene, cleanliness, and style. Unfortunately, most chemist store products do not really achieve this efficiently. If you want high-quality results, you need high-quality products. Pete and Pedro, established in 2013, offers premium hair and beard grooming products and tools that will actually get in there, moisturize, rehydrate, and clean your scalp, hair, and beard thoroughly without burning a hole in your wallet. From shampoos and conditioners to hair gels and putties, beard oils, combs, brushes, and even nail clippers, Pete and Pedro has it all. Now, I would never promote or partner with a brand I did not use or trust. Guys, I've been using Pete and Pedro products for years now and can confidently say there are no better hair and beard products on the market. Gentlemen, if you are looking to take your grooming game to that next level without breaking the bank, do yourself a favor and check out Pete and Pedro. And if you use my special discount code, DMATO10, spelled D-A-M-A-T-O-1-0, you'll score yourself an extra 10% off on what is already a great deal. The link to Pete and Pedro is down in the description below. But for right now, let's get back to the show. What's the football culture like in Indonesia? If you compare it to Australia, it might be in Australia they would call it extreme. <laughs> Often uh, in the stadiums are always packed, like even people outside waiting to get into the stadium. There are flares, there are uh, chanting the whole game, sometimes also a bit aggressive in the big derbies. We have to go to the stadium in uh, armored cars with the military and even to get onto the pitch, the military has to protect us, otherwise you'll get a bottle or maybe even a stone thrown at your head. Wow. So uh, it, it is a bit hostile, but it's an experience. Uh, maybe you can know from, from this what happened in November at that stadium in Indonesia. Yeah, not everything there is yet perfect, but I hope. And it's sad that what happened at this stadium uh, disaster, but I hope the FIFA will have a closer look on uh, the safety of the and how things are organized over there because you have to go to football to enjoy 
with your parents as a parent or as a as kid, as grandfather, grandmother, as a fan. There should not be any chance that you uh, that you don't don't get home. I mean that you pass away while watching uh, while going to a football game. You're there, you're there and, to, uh, to have it, fun. It, it's, it should be fun experience. Yes, exactly. So hopefully uh, that's sorted now with FIFA looking even more closely uh, on how things are arranged in, in Indonesia. Even what happened in the derby, so we don't want to see things like that. Correct, I agree. After this time, you had a short stint in Iran and then again in Indonesia mm-hmm. before you rejoined Adelaide United. This is another thing I've been interested to ask you. So early 2016, you come back to Adelaide United and I believe it was for the Champions yeah. League. How, how long were you there for? I guess two months or something. I actually only signed for Champions League because I wasn't eligible to play in the A-League because you had too many foreigners already in the team. Champions League, they could have one extra foreigner. So I was without a club. And obviously, as I told you before, <laughs> when Adelaide asked me because I, I got out of contract in, uh, wait, let me think, Thailand. I got out of contract with my club in Thailand. So the window was open, but I couldn't really find a club that I thought like, okay, I would want to go there. I tried to go to China first, didn't work out. And then Adelaide had this option. And as I said, because of my uh, love for Adelaide and Australia, I thought, yeah, man, let's do this. You know, maybe this is a good option. And yeah, even though I didn't play many games, I was with the team uh, every day training. And again, I had a great time. So it was a special deal, to be honest. <laughs> so was it different from your first time at Adelaide United in terms of the vibe and the feel around the club? Obviously, there weren't many players who were there from your first time there, but was it different? No, I still, I still had an enjoyable time. Uh, Bruce Gite was still there, so I was uh, awesome with him. Galekovic, um, Jordan Elty, I still knew from my time before. Some other faces that I've seen, you know, that, that played maybe for other clubs when I was still playing there in 2013, at 12 or 13. So it wasn't really totally, you know, that I didn't know anything, anyone. But it was a great experience. But yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't part of the A-League squad that won the league. Yeah, because they won the double that year. They won the, the premiership and then yeah. the, the championship. Did you have much to do with yeah. William or more? Of course, because uh, he was also uh, my coach at that time. And I spoke to him a lot. Uh, he was straightforward with me, uh, what the plans were. And uh, because, you know, this is such an odd situation. You know, you have a player coming in. And then he's only eligible to play for the A-League. But yeah, you need I need to train with the whole team to get into the rhythm and also into the team dynamics. But then I'm not allowed to play during the weekends. And it was really, really odd. But as I said, for me, it was something that I didn't even think about twice. You know, his first thought was, yes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So what did, and I know you weren't, playing but what did it mean to you mm. when you you saw Adelaide United win a championship there it is thanks to Amor they are bridesmaids no more tears from Eugene Galakovic he knows the pain that they've been through and in front of 50,000 parochial South Australians Adelaide United have finally reversed the curse and laid to rest those ghosts of grand finals pass bottom in November
Sydney Wanderers wait for a title goes on. They now match the Mariners in having lost three grand finals. But today it's all about the Reds, about an unprecedented journey after that dismal start to the campaign. It's their time, it is their moment. Adelaide United, champions of Australia. I was happy for Adelaide United. I was a bit surprised because I think at the time that I was there during this Champions League campaign, it wasn't really that you would think like, okay, Adelaide is going to win the whole thing. They started uh, the season quite poorly as well. Yeah, exactly. So it was a massive surprise for me that it ended like this. But no, I was happy. I was nothing but the best for Adelaide United. After this time, you returned to Indonesia and then mm-hmm. you retired. When a professional athlete decides that it's time to retire, what's that emotion mm-hmm. like? Were you sad? Were you content? Were you happy? Were you sick of football? What was your emotion like? The last one, maybe. Sick of football. Not, not sick of football. Maybe that sounds a little bit dramatic. My, my family was the last four years of my career. My family already lived in the Netherlands, so I was going up and down to the Netherlands and Asia, up and down. They came to me. So after a while, that was also difficult to continue that. So that was also part of my decision to be with my family. But also Asia is also a lot of, it's not always about football. There's more, there's politics. And I was sick of that being in, 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 in Asian football where other things are also important. For me, there, that was the reason to finish my career. Looking for a change. Maybe, maybe I should have explored more options here in, in Europe as well, you know, playing in, in, in lower leagues or maybe in other countries like Malta or even Belgium in lower divisions because you can still be close to much. I could still be close to my family and still play professional football because I think playing football is the best thing that ever happened to me, the best thing, the best job that there is. And I think I, I maybe I was a bit tired of football, so I didn't really put much time in it to find something else. but. You know, looking back, I think, and now being an agent, I see there are far more options to play at different levels or in different countries that you might not think of just to uh, keep playing football and earn money. So earn money with a job, with a hobby. I call it a hobby, by the way. Because you play because you enjoy it. That's the main thing. Yeah, man, but I never saw it as a job, so... So now, Sergio, just yeah. as we're about to wrap up, I'd like to ask you three last questions. Who's the best player you ever played with and why? Who's the best player you ever played against and why? And lastly, who's the yeah. best coach you ever played under and why? I would say the best player I played with was uh, Michael Eschen at uh, Persi Bandung where in Indonesia. I played with him one season. Obviously, I am a good footballer and other players are good. But these guys, uh, the world-class players, are even, you know, they are more levels above us. And it was great to see him play and what he could do. So that was uh, the, the best player that I played with. I played against Jaapstam, so the, the former Manchester United defender and Dutch national team player. And I didn't touch one ball, I guess, in that I think <laughs> That was a monster such a good player so yeah I would say that was the most difficult match that I've played against Jaapstam and the best coach that I had that would be 
if, if I had a look at, uh, for example, you know, there are uh, a couple of coaches. I can't say there's one because from what I experienced on the Frank Arena, he's a very good people's manager. You know, he makes you make makes you feel comfortable, makes you feel believe in you that you believe in yourself. So, in a way, he's a good coach. He was a good coach for me. But also to see Guillermo Amor, former Barcelona player. If you could see what he did on training when he joined in, you could also say, wow, this guy is amazing. You know, what he could do with a ball. So that's also a special thing that I saw in my career. But yeah, I think Rini Kulen was also a very good people's manager and really pushed me to my max. I think I have a lot to thank him as well, that I uh, became top scorer. And so I had a very enjoyable time. So yeah. You know, I, I, cannot, I cannot say that there's only one. And then maybe last but not least, I have this coach in the Netherlands, Jan van Dijk. Not my family or whatever, but he made such an impact on my career by taking me to the first team of the FC Groningen, taking me to Helmond Sport, and after taking me to FC Emmen. He's been crucial. He believes in me. So, yeah, for me, that's also <laughs> a good coach. You had a lot of good coaches then. Yeah, I think so. Well, Sergio Van Dyke, it's been fantastic to have you on the show. Respect you very highly. You are still an absolute fan favorite in the A-League and Adelaide United. And I definitely (laughs) hope that you will come back to Australia sometime. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for taking your time to do this. And that is a wrap for another episode. I trust you enjoyed this conversation and I thank you very much for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and a review and I'll catch you all on the next episode of Amato's Fifth Quarter Podcast.